guys and um, welcome to the history of rosie roaring 20s podcast i'm here with meg hi meg hi rosie um and today we're discussing home and family life in the 20s um so what kind of was it like in the 20s for families and in the home so you know oh we are aware that the 20s has its reputation it has the reputation of being the roaring 20s and while we just associate this with america and with the uh, united states it is uh, necessary and important to remember that this wasn't just a phenomenon that took place in uh, you know the uh, united states um we have to remember that across europe women were being given more freedoms more independence and in many countries they were being given the uh, vote um if we kind of start off in uh, europe and we take the very notorious very well-known weimar republic for example women became liberated in the weimar republic in 1918 so just before we get to the 1920s you know, there is already a big group of women who are politically active, who are um, given more social and cultural independence. Um, And we kind of see this spread across the rest of Europe and then into the United States. Um, Under many constitutions, women were given the votes. So Article 109 in the Weimar Republic Constitution granted women their votes, for example. And in Germany, by 1920, women held 10% of the seats in the Reichstag. So, you know, uh, comparing um, Europe to, uh, to the United States, we have the 19th Amendment of the United States Constitution. This gives women uh, the right to vote. So bringing this back to the idea of home and you know family life there are relatively constant family values however women's role begins to change they begin to be like i said more independent more free thinking they're allowed to express themselves and part of this expression is seen as sexuality and and sexual expression so therefore there is a big increase of uh, divorce rates for example so you know while while all of this seems you know a, a, a little bit sporadic we can start to add a couple of stats and uh, statistics numbers kind of into the mix here so thinking about the average number per household in uh, 1920 the average number of a US household was 4.34 and this had uh, declined this has previously been as high as 5.55 in 1850 and throughout the 1920s this continued to decline and kind of by the time we kind of see the end of the 1920s this was as low as 4.11 so it was it was more common for the structure of a family to be three or four children compared to kind of seven or eight that had kind of previously been seen in the Victorian era. 
So was there any like reason for this? Was it because women were going out to work like a normal kind of nine to five day or was it just the attitude towards, you know, stuff like contraception or, you know, having loads of children isn't really practical. So did that attitude change um, during the 20s? Definitely. So while marriage was still kind of a primary goal for most couples and kind of the reason it still is nowadays being more to do with uh, taxation and uh, lower taxation couples were kind of more inclined to get married for that reason couples didn't feel the need or the pressure to have larger families so because these gender roles are are uh, changing we have uh modernist views of women you know women were allowed to work they had their independence they were free thinking versus uh traditionalist views women were the homemakers and men were the breadwinners this was you know being um torn apart this um viewpoint of of the roles that men and women had so couples didn't feel the pressure, they didn't feel the need to have these large families. Like you mentioned as well, women didn't have the time. They didn't have the time to have large families, um, you know, because they were working. Uh, women had, had worked a lot during uh, World War One, while, while the men had obviously been fighting. And this uh, role that they took on, this uh, new role, became part of their everyday routine so children became more of a uh, liability that prevented economic growth rather than an asset so if we uh, compare this to kind of pre-20s not just in the united states but in europe having you know seven or eight children was seen as successful um something that women could be proud of was that they were fertile Whereas now women wanted to be proud of the fact that they were working a nine to five job and having children or having many children would hinder their ability to do this. And not only this, but uh, the stigma surrounding uh, contraception and uh, uh, pregnancy terminations was changing. Laws on abortion were changing, laws on contraception were changing and contraception became much more accessible. So one, we see, you know, women not having the time, but we see women also not feeling pressured into having um, multiple children. Yeah, so I was gonna say like in, say if we think about kind of the like 1800s, a lot of children would also go out to work and not be attending school, whereas I guess by the 20s as well, um, kids had to go to school to a certain age and they weren't sent off to factories and used as, like, assets, whereas, like, you know, previously, if you had seven children, you could send all those seven children off and make money off them. Um, So I guess, like, that was kind of a positive change for children in the home as well kind of the introduction of better schooling and um, stuff like that. No, that's exactly right. So in Britain, for example, 1921, the Education Act, there were kind of three main aspects to this act. The first being that 
the school leaving age was now 14. It was mandatory for everybody to stay in school. Um, state primary education was free. And also all children in the uh, junior or the, or the infant age had to stay in education for the full day. And this was 9am until half past four. And, you know, coming with, with this um, change in attitude towards education, there was also multiple reforms in, in schools, the education system, the curriculum, teacher training, etc. And, you know, this, this didn't just occur, you know, bam, we get to 1920 and there's a huge change in the uh, type of reforms. You know, this, this was following a, a trend and education had been coming, had, had been becoming uh, progressively better kind of on a steady, um, I guess, I guess, a graph if you like, it was becoming steadily better. And there was a wider focus on educating children, you know, the the uh, person, the individual, so they were taught life skills, etc., rather than just memorizing facts. And you know, this this uh, the purpose of this was to get them into better jobs rather than them having to work in the factories at a young age, like we see, you know, in uh, Victorian Britain, for example. Yeah, so it's just interesting that um, I think potentially, you know, after the war as well, they did want to reform things and make it better for people, which I think is why the Roaring Twenties happened. Um, but so these, you know, um, the parents that were working and stuff, what was the common jobs for like the male of the household or the female? Like um, kind of what was your average job this all depends on the social class of the family. So there is, you know, the industry within the urban areas versus the farming in the rural areas. Huge differences there were still present. And also uh, huge class differences, huge socioeconomic differences that meant that every kind of person would be doing a different job. So if, if we take working class people, for example, um, Males would be working in factories. Um, any any kind of product was uh, popular. However, women, on the other hand, who previously hadn't had the chance to work or, you know, weren't actually allowed, young working class girls, they only really had one option when it came to working. And this this option, the most common uh, work for young working class girls was as a dressmaker. You know, the, the job is, is pretty self-explanatory. Um, this this job wasn't paid very well. You know, they, they weren't, you know, given much for the long, tedious hours that they did. Um, and their lives were completely different to the lives of you know the women that they were making the dresses for so if 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 we think about you know the really uh, glamorous looking um upper class woman that was who those dresses were being made for this is where we start to kind of see some constants some uh similarities between women in the 20s compared to women kind of 
uh, late 1800s and the uh, war period because middle to upper class women their lives didn't really change they they didn't work one of the most common jobs um in in the 1920s before the invention of uh, the alarm clock was the role of a knocker upper and this this job re- uh, uh, required the worker to literally wake up the employees on time by banging on their window with a stick in order for them to get to the factory in time to kind of work their shifts um one of the most common male jobs for uh, males who had been educated was bankers so not only was there a boom in um social and uh, political changes but there was also a boom in economics which meant that there was a banking boom in the 1920s more bankers making more money changing the socio-economic um field if you like of of the era and obviously this was until the wall street crash of 1929 yeah so i imagine a lot of people who were out of work in 1929 uh after the wall street crash that had gone into banking to make a little bit more money than being a factory worker um was then affected uh even more so by the crash um which is quite interesting uh to think about because obviously they've studied and they've probably you know tried a bit harder um and then it all got taken away from them um definitely yeah one of the most kind of um most most i guess it would it would be quite um strange to think now and it 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 was a propaganda image but in the late weimar uh german period we we see images that were used for propaganda purposes but it was children playing with blocks of money you know they 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 used blocks of paper money as toys and it you know shows how how worthless this money then became after the wall street crash you know that they were just giving this money to children to play with yeah i've seen like um all the kind of german ones like people with wheelbarrows of money and stuff because it just literally meant nothing um but yeah it's just really interesting that um it kind of this period of such um boom was then followed by a period of such um like depression and then obviously the war it's just it's like it kind of reminds me of now because we were kind of having a good time and then we're just on a downward spiral. It's like we're just no, repeating absolutely. history again. Um, we didn't see another boom after after the nineteen twenties for for eighty years. You know, it wasn't until the early two thousands when there was something so similar, and now we're in another uh, recession again. And you know, it's it's almost like history is uh, repeating itself. The twenty uh, twenties. You know, people thought these are the roaring twenties again, but in fact they weren't yeah i feel like we've missed out the the roaring bit and just started in uh like 1929 is now 2020 <laughs> um it's quite the opposite um of what it was like um but let me just um so we're talking like quite a bit about like european america 
So like, um, where was not the best place, but like, was anywhere like a lot more progressive than another or a lot less progressive? Like what kind of, um, you know, how, what kind of places were the best places to be for family life and stuff like that? For family life, it's it's important to remember that all family lives were different. It is it is such a, a cliche, but but no um, family lives were the same. So while you know you could suggest that uh, the capital of Germany, uh, Berlin, was a great place to be for women, it might not have been a great place to be for family life. It isn't perhaps a geographical location. But the best place that for, you know, women to be was in, um, well, was surrounded by women who were involved in the temperance movement of the 19th century. So this kind of links to uh, US prohibition because women's rights, women's freedoms and therefore family changes almost were enhanced due to the prohibition movement. Um, women were actively encouraging prohibition because themselves or their children may have been abused due to drunken fathers or husbands. And so using this prohibition movement to their advantage, you know, and using the idea of wanting to prohibit the sale of alcohol, links to a better family life because well um on on paper it links to a better family life because the fathers and husbands wouldn't be intoxicated you know we we know that there were underground speakeasies etc but on on paper uh the prohibition movement would have had pros for families so if we if we want to pick out a geographical location it might have to be the united states because there was no um prohibition or you know no prohibiting of the sales of alcohol across europe that was more of a a united states movement yeah i guess like prohibition um although it did have some of its downsides with you know the rise of gangsters and uh you know organized criminal activity um it has been kind of proven that it did stop the rise in child abuse and domestic abuse cases which you know is probably was worse back in the 20s when you know beating your wife probably wasn't illegal um and it was kind of a man's word against the woman's word kind of um atmosphere so i guess like yeah like america would have been a really good place for children and wives but maybe not so for the men who'd miss their drinking mm. yeah, yeah we can we can also you know link uh, all of these social and cultural changes that come with prohibition we can link this to um women's independence and the the changes in in women's life you know of course you know we we want to be thinking about the home and the family but we have to remember that the uh, traditional role of a woman was to be the heart of that family so as soon as women went out smoking and drinking and um 
the LGBT culture became more prominent, especially in areas such as uh, Berlin, family life then drastically changed. So like I mentioned before, uh, higher divorce rates, for example, family splits, um, family splits as well in the fact that single women no longer lived with their parents, they were able to live alone and become more independent. And this is described as the accelerated revolution. And, you know, what what this kind of uh, suggests is that women jump on the bandwagon of the changes that they see from prohibition. So they see men attending the speakeasies and women attend them too. And nobody has anything to say about it because everything is changing. And this is, you know, where family life begins to shift because both parents are out of the house you know there is there is nobody whose role it is to traditionally cook the meals or traditionally dress the children and wash the clothes for example so I imagine that for a lot of people especially already married families you know uh, parents who are married and kind of have children already that this change would have been difficult you know um, middle-aged to older women would have seen younger women expressing themselves, going out to the speakeasies, smoking, drinking, and I'm sure that there would have been a little bit of FOMO, if you like, you know, they they were missing out and they were uh, potentially, not, not all, some, you know, some um, didn't like this kind of new image of uh, the woman. But, you know, a lot of them would have been jealous and I'm sure that that would have created rifts within marriages about, you know, a woman wanting, wanting to have a new role and her husband not being happy about that. Yeah, I think um, pre-prohibition as well, um, women weren't actually allowed into, like, the, um, you know, bars and stuff on their own. So then in the prohibition women were freely allowed into speakeasies to have a drink and stuff which would have you know if it was an older woman looking at a younger woman actually freely being allowed out on her own there definitely would have been that aspect of jealousy and like judgment because that's not how it was done um in their day um is it kind of like a quite american thing to have the a, quite a change role of women because I was just thinking about like you know my grandparents and stuff and they were very much although my nan had a job and stuff and like my great-gran had jobs they were very much there at the end of the day cooking the food making sure that you know the house was ready so do you think like America had a bit more of a a kind of better attitude because I feel like Britain still has this kind of man female kind of attitude still i think we're quite a old-fashioned country no definitely i i would agree and you know britain were uh, behind in women's suffrage it wasn't until 1928 that women over the age of 21 were allowed to vote and comparing that to like i said the united states and germany you know uh, women were allowed the vote and they were allowed to sit in their uh, respective governments, you know, from about 1919. 
So Britain are almost a decade behind other places in Europe. It is, um, you know, there, there, there is a significant difference. So while there is or there, there was a, a newfound confidence amongst men and women, in Britain, married women and children's lives remained vaguely the same. So, for example, middle-class housewives, their role would be to hold parties, to entertain guests. That didn't change. It was, you know, more the single women who experienced more freedoms. So, while, you know, the um, German experience of the Nazi new woman can be compared to the image of the flapper, the flapper was also the United States and the British new woman, socially and culturally different to the woman of pre-World War One. Yeah, it's really interesting, like, that everywhere was kind of so different because I think we kind of have this idea of, like, everywhere being at a similar level in Europe and the United States kind of maybe being that little bit more advanced, but uh, not so much so that it would be a different experience. But when you actually like look into it, Germany was a lot more of a progressive place than I think anyone realised because obviously they're overshadowed by the 30s and 40s where being a woman in Germany was very different from being a woman in Germany in the 20s. Um, I think it would have been like a huge change um, when the Nazis came into power from having that freedom to like kind of having it all snatched away I guess yeah no you're absolutely right so um it's it's really interesting to kind of just come back to the point that you said that the Weimar period so the period from kind of 1918 to kind of 1933 is completely overshadowed by the Nazi regime and by the Third Reich and it is important to remember that the Weimar Republic was experimental. They didn't know how it was going to go. They had no blueprint to base it off. But something that they wanted was a liberation um, for minority groups, and that was women. I think if, if I had to assess all three, for example, Britain, Germany and the United States, I would have to put Germany at the top, being the most progressive society when it came to social groups such as women. And I would have to place Britain at the bottom because of just, you know, how far behind they were in terms of women's suffrage compared to all of these other countries. Yeah, I think like even from, say, later than the 20s, Britain does seem to have this kind of backwards view on women, um, despite, you know, women helping with the war effort, like, all in both wars and um, women getting jobs and stuff. There's still just this backwards, like, ideology on women. And I think, like, it's just very obvious when you look back at kind of, you know, British propaganda and like speeches in parliament and stuff you can just kind of feel this um not hatred but like just this backwards attitude whereas I think as much as maybe America has the kind of like protecting their women kind of attitude I think they were a lot more 
progressive in letting women do things um which I think just comes across when you kind of read about how it was in these um countries because obviously our image of like the flapper girl does come from the US um it like predominantly no you're right it it does it's it is also important to acknowledge that obviously when men came back from fighting and when the war was over at the start of the 1920s all of the jobs that had been held by women were given back to men women did have to go back to very low paid um low skilled work and the men automatically received their their jobs back but what's really interesting especially in germany for example is that women were seen as um successful when it came to the economy so when there were issues in germany for example hyperinflation in 1923 giving women work and allowing women to work produced obviously more money um women were earning money and therefore they were spending money and that helped the economy especially you know when there were issues such as hyperinflation and i think coming back to the idea that you know the flapper girl is um almost uh, stereotypically seen from the united states the flapper did appear in in britain as well so we all know women with short hair short skirts they were attractive they were reckless they would smoke and drink and you know this this is a completely opposite from the role and the image of women and i think the main difference would be the length of the dress for example and you know we can see how in in germany this is reverted back in the late 1930s when adolf hitler has his dictatorship he enforces that all women don't wear makeup and don't wear long skirts or dresses and that's you know a big difference you know we we go from a victorian looking woman to the flapper woman back to this victorian traditional old-fashioned looking image yeah i guess like the war did have quite a big effect um like backwards on kind of everything in the country so obviously you know start of the 20s is when they're kind of rebuilding and then it's all going well and then there's another war and then they have to kind of rebuild again so i guess each time um after the war is kind of almost like starting from scratch again so they've kind of had all this stuff like values and changes to systems and then i think the war just kind of stops everything doesn't it so literally i think 1945 was kind of you know the a rebirth of a new era kind of thing um so it's quite interesting to see like how progressive the 20s were then the 30s you go kind of backwards and then um like go forwards again I just find it quite interesting that no one really thinks about how progressive the 20s was because it's been overshadowed Mm -hmm. yeah I think that the 20s does lay a foreground for the um well I think for the whole world actually after 1945 and 
you know, we, we know that Germany, for example, have our zero, you know, it's like a new starting point. But a lot of the elements of the Weimar Constitution, especially those surrounding gender and family life, are in the modern day German constitution. So, you know, it, it is right to say that the 1920s in in a lot of ways have been overshadowed because I know from a personal perspective, when I learnt about the Roaring Twenties, I only learnt about it from a um, United States point of view. I didn't, you know, learn about the 1920s significantly in Germany until I kind of did my... Uh, uh, university my undergraduate studies so you know there was a a big uh, difference I guess in the way that it is seen in different countries because other events like you say overshadow yeah definitely and I guess um you know say like in America there might have been bigger like industry and like brands and stuff which could we kind of focus on like say I can't think of one off the top of my head, but like something that was being invented in the 20s. So then we just look at America because they've done something that we still have today. Whereas, you know, Germany might not have invented something revolutionary, but they did have progressive values. And I think like we just kind of focus on the big, big things when really we should kind of look at it all as a whole. Um, but like on the kind of topic of like inventions and stuff, I know like obviously America's always known for kind of inventing things and having big brands that have become worldwide. Um, was the 1920s like a state, a time of a lot of inventions for the home and like um, concepts for the home that would help out with, um, you know, keeping the home tidy or just helping out in the home basically? Definitely. So um, the 1920s can be categorised as a jumpstart era in the home. And this does link back to the fact that both parents would have been out of the house. Life needed to be a little easier. And, you know, the, the same way that we kind of now take for granted our vacuum cleaner you know, because we think it takes so much time. How much longer would it have taken with a dustpan and brush, you know, hands and knees on the floor, brushing up all of the dust? You know, that that would have taken so much longer. So because um, society was changing and people were able to be out of the house a lot more, leisure, tourism, travel, there needed to be these inventions that made life just that little bit easier. So like I mentioned there, uh, the vacuum cleaner, also the invention of food blenders, just these things that made the domestic chores easier for women, you know, because the, uh, they would have been the ones uh, traditionally doing these domestic chores. Something else that was uh, time effective was freezer food you know you kind of something that we take for granted now freezer food wasn't you know a concept until the 1920s i think that frozen fish was 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 the first food to be frozen and um, it was considered fi uh, somebody discovered that fish 
tasted nicer if it was frozen quickly than if it was frozen over a longer period of time. And then this began to happen with things such as other meats and vegetables, because if you froze vegetables or if you freeze vegetables straight away, the nutrients in those vegetables is frozen and therefore lasts longer. So not only is this time effective, but it's also cost effective. And that was something that would have, you know, uh, have been looked for, especially by a mother. She wouldn't have a lot of time. She had this new life that she wanted to live. Something else that allowed um, her to live a new life and allowed families to live a new life was the accessibility of uh, cars. So cars became uh, commercially available and therefore leisure and travel also became more accessible. Families could go on holiday, they could travel long distances. You know, this, this improves family life. This improves children's education, they're experiencing the wider world. And, you know, this also improves family dynamics. We know how you know, uh, now especially, we know what it's like to be locked inside. And we know that going outside is, you know, really important for our relationships with people. So being able to travel and explore and experience would have been great for the family. This, this also kind of links back to the economy because people had more disposable incomes because of the boom in the economy, people had a disposable income and therefore consumerism uh, skyrocketed. You know, people were um, buying more. For example, um, technology, um, products for the home. So women were targeted, you know, by these companies, for example, makeup and cosmetics. So this you know again links back to all of these different inventions that not only made life for the woman a little bit better but made family life easier too yeah um yeah it's interesting that you know when you think about kind of things that we take for granted like freezers and um vacuum cleaners like imagine before they had a freezer and they had to go out you know maybe daily to get food rather than you know, putting a load of food in the freezer and being able to then cook that. And then also the fact of they wouldn't have had a car before and having a car is just really changes how life would have been. Um, and I know, like you said, makeup, like I know a lot of makeup companies were founded in the 20s um, or like just before the 20s. So it was a really big, big time for that as well, which would have like changed how women almost like felt about themselves as well because they wouldn't have had access to anything like this before so it would have been quite exciting I guess to finally be able to use some makeup that potentially I mean I'm sure that it still had dodgy ingredients in but not so much as like putting lead on your face kind of thing yeah no of course you know so we we know that makeup the concept has been around for a long time you know we picture a uh... Cleopatra, for example, you know, we, we see her with a black eyeliner. But like you said, that, that is lead. And that was, you know, very, very bad for the skin. Um, 
but what we what we do see is the creation of more um top end brands because women have more money and are able to afford this women have their own money they're no longer relying on a parent or a partner for uh, you know for their money so there was an increase in makeup and other cosmetic products because they were so popular and like you said it it would have made women feel you know that bit better about themselves yeah and i i mean it does sound like a good era for inventions like imagine how exciting it would have been to get a vacuum cleaner after using your broom for like the past <laughs> 10 years um was there anything else like that was significant at the time like I know obviously cinema was kind of taking off as well like the early kind of stages of cinema were in the kind of 1900s and then obviously I think by the 30s people would go and watch like the news at the cinema um was that like cinema and like radio was that quite significant in the 20s as well yeah, so radio and broadcast became a lot more accessible. We know them now as the small vintage radios, you know, with the little strap that you can carry. But those were what would have been in, in a home. And these were made very widely accessible. They were also, uh, they, they, they were made even more accessible under Adolf Hitler in Germany, but they were made accessible for most people. And you know, this this meant that the average person could be informed more easily. News was able to reach the majority of citizens. There was a sense of uh, connection between Parliament and the average person, and that, that always makes people feel a little bit more comfortable. You know, we know these days what it's like to kind of not feel connected to Parliament and to government. So, being able to watch like you said in the cinema but also listen to news over these radios you know that that was a really big thing and i can picture it now a family sitting around a table eating their breakfast and the radio is on the table and they're all listening in it was a time that families could be together but it also made the nations feel more connected and, you know, this this was especially important during war periods, you know, being able to hear what was what was going on. We can all picture the time, you know, when families are sat around their radios and hearing that Britain has just announced that they're in a state of war with Germany. But, you know, this this also was a great time for music artists and film artists to be making you know, moves making their way within the industry because more people could hear their art through their radio. Yeah, definitely. And like, obviously, jazz was a big, um, a big thing in the 20s. So I'm sure that they would have been able to listen to jazz on the radio as well. Um, and I know, like, after the 20s stuff like jazz did decline again because it was kind of you know connected to the speakeasies and stuff like that so it's quite interesting like if you had to like analyze the music taste and what people were actually listening to on the radio it probably would have been a lot more talking in the 20s 
um, compared to maybe other times, just like purely based on what like was being developed, I guess. No, of course. And there's the iconic scene from West Side Story um, about the girls talking about America. And this is very, very similar to kind of how people would have felt, you know, um, kind of about the United States. So this links again almost to education because there was a, a huge influx of people coming into America because of concepts such as the American dream and a better life and a society and a culture that would accommodate them. So, you know, pe people, not just in America, but kind of outside and into Europe and Asia were seeing America as the, as the place to be. It was, it was seen as a place where they could prosper and they could become better people. Yeah, and it's a big theme in like literature as well, I guess, in uh, like 1920s American literature that it is the American dream um, and everyone can kind of achieve it, um, which obviously isn't the case because, you know, you get to 1929 and the Wall Street crash, you couldn't even get a job, let alone live out the American uh, fantasy. Um, but it's interesting, like, I guess education did have a big influence on this American dream um, thing, because obviously, if people were being seen to be educated, I guess people kind of aspired to that. Yeah, this, it, it also links, you know, to the, the ideas of those who first came to the Americas, you know, back, you know, all almost kind of four four hundred years ago at, at this point of of the nineteen twenties, you know, linking to the idea that people from Britain could go to this new land and create a life for themselves, and when we think about the reforms that took place in the education system thinking about the American education system, for example, now, there is a big emphasis on days such as uh, Columbus Day. You know, while this might be a very controversial period, a very controversial topic, the idea was that people came from Britain to this newfound land and were able to make a new life for themselves. So despite kind of the Wall Street crash and periods before the Wall Street crash, people from outside of America believed that they could come into the country and make a new life for themselves, just like people had hundreds of years before them. Yeah, um, and obviously immigration to America since, well, for a long time, um, had been incredibly high, um, especially from like Ireland and Italy. Um, they were like quite big groups that um, immigrated to America. Um, so I think like there was, you know, there was a lot of immigrants coming to America who now are, you know, even if they came in the 20s, they're now consider themselves American um, and feel like they did achieve the American dream, I guess. Um, but I guess like, so in America, like kind of, was there any like really 
downsides for the family like um I'm, I'm trying to think like any policies that might have like hindered children or anything like or was it genuinely quite a good like education system like quite a good um atmosphere like or was it was there some like hidden dark side so kind of in whole the education system was was pretty good and has uh continued to excel we might say that it now is kind of uh steadying off and also possibly uh plummeting but at the time there was a steady increase you know in in the education system for example something that may have limited the education of young people especially higher education thinking colleges and uh, university studies is that the red scare the fear of communism between 1917 and 1999 led to the threat that communism would infiltrate the school system so in uh junior schools and secondary schools teachers were required to sign an oath stating that they were loyal to americans and nowhere in sorry and in no shape or form loyal to communists you know they were they were um made to kind of sign this so this limits the ideas and the perspectives that people might have seen and i'm not for a second saying that the communist ideology had to be taught to all of these children but it's having a wider perspective and having their perspective narrowed intentionally perhaps hindered their opinions and another example of this is professors in colleges and universities with radical ideas began to be distrusted and they were distrusted to the point where they were asked to step down from their posts again limiting the education of ideas, uh, political ideas, social ideas, historical ideas that could be taught to these new generations. Yeah, and I think um, also um, to do with like the kind of, you know, how much they hated communism, a lot of um, black professors and black people in general and um, like radical people with radical thoughts did actually end up going to Russia um, to teach and study because they were a lot more progressive, which sounds um, completely mental because, you know, our idea of communism is that it's this kind of really bad um, force that oppresses everyone. But actually during the 20s and 30s for education and university and like study and having kind of free thinking ideas um and less racism than the US um a lot of people did go over to the Soviet Union which when I found that out really surprised me because we just have the completely opposite view of them um but actually they I think they wanted to be open for people that had um different ideas to American people or um who were black or Asian that didn't fit into America could then I mean, I guess it was a form of kind of indoctrinating them into the regime, but I just found it very interesting that um, they found refuge in the exact place that America didn't want them to. 
no that that is really interesting i think that because um you know starting from the kind of october revolution in russia in 1917 and then moving to the spartacist revolt sorry the spartacist revolt in germany in 1919 you know there 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 is this uh, potential threat especially for countries such as britain and america whereas russia nobody really posed a threat to them they didn't restrict i don't think the ideas that were um discussed until a little bit later on when uh freedom of press was um taken away for example but i i'm not that surprised that people would go across to russia because they have nobody to be afraid of yeah and i think you know if um russia's kind of giving this um sending out this image that they're very free thinking and they're um you know you not you're allowed to say whatever you want obviously that's not the case anywhere but that you would be able to explore the topics that you want to explore or you wouldn't get held back because you're black um in russia because that's what they were telling you then i can kind of see how it was how you would want to go over to Russia from America if you were kind of an oppressed person um, who was intelligent. I think that would be really appealing. Um, It's just interesting that no one really talks about that kind of thing. We just, as we said before, like you just always see what, you know, the education system wants wants to tell you. Definitely. I think as well, that kind of, removes uh, the American dream because if some people were being oppressed their ideas were being oppressed they weren't able to um, fulfill their wishes in their work role you know that that completely limits the idea of uh, the American dream stopping people from doing something that they enjoy just because the government or uh, the ideology doesn't agree with those ideas doesn't make me think that America in the 1920s would have been the perfect place to be. No, and I guess also, like, we're talking about how uh, kind of, like, women and families and um, people had, like, more freedom and had a bit more, like... um, like it was a bit revolutionary in the 20s but then I think we're looking at it from a very white perspective I think if we then flipped it and looked at the typical like black family's life I don't think it would have been as nice for them because you know the social issues in America were ongoing long long before the 20s and they didn't just stop in the 20s because everyone was having a party in the speakeasies like there still was this massive race problem um which I know like you know in some places you do see examples of famous black people in jazz music and um in entertainment and stuff but then that was more of a kind of they were exotic so they want that's why they became famous um so I think, yeah, if we flipped it and we looked from a kind of non-white perspective, which is kind of what all the history books were written about, I think 
we would get this very different view of the 20s. Definitely. And I don't think you can um, group, therefore, all families together. Because, you know, like I said, not only are families different for um, class, socioeconomic background or geographical area, they're also different because of race. You know, you are very uh, right in saying that because of all of the connotations of enslavement that, you know, link significantly back many, many years. Yeah, and I think from, like, reports and books and articles and stuff from the 20s, I think every black person had a very different experience of... um, what it was like for the American dream. I mean, it certainly wasn't the American dream for a black person. Um, And I'm not saying that, you know, any other country was better. Um, I think, you know, some other countries were a bit more, a little bit more progressive than America. But like, for example, Britain acts like it's progressive and that in the 20s, they had no racial problems and all that but that's not the case and I think like yeah I just think you know we can kind of say oh America's really bad but I think it was the general 1920s attitude from everyone not just in the United States. Definitely I think it's also uh, very important for us you know speaking from a white viewpoint to acknowledge some of you know some of the atrocities that happened to um, black people and other ethnic minorities. Um, For example, lynchings in uh, the United States and how that reached its peak kind of between the 1890s and then going into the 1920s. And, you know, this this was primarily attacking African-Americans. you know, while this was predominantly in uh, the south of America, it it was common else elsewhere. Um, you know, this absolutely uh, horrendous images. I'm sure that if anybody listening would like to understand more about that, there are some uh, horrendous images online. Um, but you know, this this linking back to this idea that there were people who believed that whites were superior and therefore thought that it was okay to intimidate ethnic minorities through um, examples of racial terrorism. Yeah, um, and to be honest, I think it didn't get any better after the 20s, I think. Um, the 20s was just you know another period of time where it was bad because obviously you know um, black people didn't get rights in America till the 60s so that's quite a long time after the 20s so I think there can't have been much improvement during the 20s to the treatment because as we said like previously like um, after 1945 it was kind of built upon some of the values from the 20s like you said like um in Germany the Weimar Republic um some of their values were built into like new Germany um whereas I just feel like 
there can't have been much progression in the race area when you get to 1945 or you know slightly later in America um and there still hasn't been any any change um so I think it'd just be quite interesting like to explore like um you know I like I'll probably do some further reading on you know the typical not typical but you know how bad it was during the 20s because I just I can't imagine that there was many positive points from that time definitely you know we are talking about or we we have been talking about all of this constant change that occurred for families and in the home but for individuals who were affected by the um, Jim Crow laws uh, for individuals uh, that you know were affected by the Jim Crow laws um, that enforced uh, racial segregation you know this this didn't leave you know this uh, these laws were still enforced up until I think 1965 you know so that is a significantly long period after the 1920s and you know while we are saying that the 1920s was a revolutionary time period I think it is important to acknowledge that for you know for some people it definitely wasn't yeah and I think I mean I've done like a unit at uni about kind of suggesting where some of the Nazi um like policies came from and obviously in America I think it was during the 20s and 30s you couldn't they had a quite a strict view on mixed marriages so if you were white and you wanted to marry a black person I think I'm not sure if it was illegal but it was definitely like uh, you just wouldn't get a marriage license for it basically um and then when the Nazis came into power and they started doing um laws one of their first things was no mixed marriages between Jews and Germans. So I think, like, from what I've kind of seen is, like, um, some of the policies from the 20s then influenced the Nazis in the 30s, which is quite surprising because you kind of think that the Nazis came out of nowhere and, you know, just made it all up. But actually, like, um, America already had similar laws in place. For black people which I don't know it's just something I never really linked together so when I was kind of doing that unit at uni I was really shocked to read about some of the really like unprogressive laws that America had in place and as well as this like we kind of see like America has a large Jewish population but actually the country was quite anti-semitic so it's just really interesting to kind of look at the unprogressive side of the 20s when they've done so much good work with women and families and inventions and then there's just this dark side definitely so i think that um as well not just for ethnic minorities but because of this increase of uh consumerism class and socioeconomic differences became much more apparent they uh, became much more obvious amongst different groups of people and we know now that you know children can be horrible so i imagine that there would have been uh 
horrible comments, nasty behaviour towards people who were possibly in the uh, lower classes and didn't have such a great socioeconomic background and that also definitely includes ethnic minorities. Yeah I can imagine like I mean just like the higher class in Britain during the time you know they were they would have been very judgmental and horrible and yeah especially children um, because I think it would have been quite noticeable who were the poor ones or you know obviously like to a point everyone would know if you were like kind of Jewish or whatever because people would know each other so I could imagine like it would have been quite a horrible atmosphere um for some people um obviously like as I said it's not just America that had some unprogressive views but um it's just interesting to touch upon um because I feel like I mean, from personal experience, like, we do leave out, like, education system does leave out the stories of ethnic minorities and um, stuff like that, so I think it's always nice to touch upon it, um, because otherwise we're just kind of adding to that um, exclusion. Um, But do you think, overall, it could be considered the Roaring Twenties for, you know, the majority of women and children and families in the 20s? Yes, I think that this, again, uh, depends how we uh, define the majority of people because there was such drastic change in a lot of areas. Obviously, we have to acknowledge that in not all areas there was this drastic change, but in quite a few areas there was so the family structure was changing and therefore the idea of the average typical family was also changing so i think that it has to be considered that uh, the roaring 20s for a typical family um you know was this significant change because of the changes that we see in family structure so the 1920s across Europe and the United States marked a drastic social, cultural, economic and political change. And so and this change is seen in everyday family life. For example, smaller family sizes, women having the right to vote, more disposable income and therefore more consumerism. But I think it has to be argued that for those families who were already larger, for example, or for those groups who didn't benefit from this experimental nature, didn't see any didn't see any drastic change. Their lives did stay the same, as we have already discussed. But yeah, so I think that it is important to you know, while from a Eurocentric perspective, we acknowledge all of the positives, we don't necessarily acknowledge the negatives. And I think that that's something that can definitely be taken away from this. Yeah. And I guess like, if anyone listening, like, you know, there's probably a lot of books that we could, like, that you could look into for like, more info on this. Like, I know I've got a few books on kind of like, racism and America which I can kind of link once we share the podcast and I think 
you know, if you're interested in this area, like, go and do a bit more research and let us know, because I'd be interested to find out more about this. Yeah, me too. I'm sure that Rosie will have all information in uh, the description of the podcast, but I also have a couple of resources that I'd happily uh, suggest for further research. And again, I'd be totally happy to discuss any of the points that we've raised. Yeah, definitely. I, I'd just love to have a chat with anyone. Um, and I just thought if we wrap up the podcast with any, do you have any like interesting last facts or stories? Um just to share for like the final the final thought yes yeah, so i i touched on this very briefly earlier but what really really interests me is that not everybody was happy with this idea of the new woman with this idea of women's independence and i know that my boyfriend's grandma and she'll love it because i've now mentioned her name on a podcast so Anne, this is this is for you um she'll you know she she always says you know i i had to work i you know um women now have to work and it shows that some people those older women for example weren't happy with this idea of the new woman and there was a desire um to return back to the good old days and this does link to why the nazi party were popular with older women who wanted to revert back to their traditional roles. So I just wanted to kind of end with this because I think it's so interesting that while we know that the 1920s across all of Europe did lay down a blueprint for future constitutions, not everybody was happy with it. Yeah, definitely. I can imagine like if you kind of I don't know, grew up thinking you didn't have to work and then suddenly you did, it would be like a bit of a shock. Like sometimes I think, oh, I don't want to work. So I, I feel where feel where they're coming from with that one. And I think, you know, these different attitudes to like sex and families and just general life would have been a big shock to a lot of people. So I, I can see like where it came from. Um, but I think in the end, it was a it was a good change and I think it was positive um, for most people. I don't think we would be in the position we are today without the changes from the 20s. So I think we have to be grateful for the people um, who grew up and who were making the laws and stuff during that time. So thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's very interesting. Um is there anything else that you want to add or um is are we are we done with our family home um chat well as much as we can be because we could go on forever yeah i think it is important to remember that we can't touch on everything in just a, a short space of time so i would encourage people to go out and research some of the bigger themes that we have encountered today and again you know to have conversations with as many people as possible, myself, Rosie, you know, many other accounts and um, online resources that will provide an extension to the small amount that we've been able to share today. Yeah, definitely. And I'll make sure to tag your Instagram so that if anyone does want to message Meg or me, then feel free. We are open for your uh, feedback, 
your conversations, whatever you want to send our way. Um, so thank you everyone uh, for listening and thank you Meg for uh, appearing on the episode. Thanks so much for having me, Rosie. That's all right. Right. Thank you guys.